0: Welcome back to Voices in My Head. I am your host, Rick Lee James, and this is episode number 117. You're about to hear part two of my sermon, Where Are You?, that I recorded just a few weeks ago in Somerville, West Virginia, at a camp meeting there, had a great time. Just before we start... I wanna let everybody know that the official crowdfunding site is up for my next album. It's a hymns album, and uh, I, I just am really excited about it. We've got a video from YouTube that I want you guys to check out, so stop everything right now, if you can, and go to youtube.com slash Rick Lee James. Watch the video that's on the main feed there about the Rick Lee James hymn project. Uh, I think you're gonna enjoy it. We need lots of help. We need lots of likes. We have a plan in place right right now if we can get 6,000 people to watch it that might help us to get 6,000 shares on the internet if we can get 6,000 people to donate five dollars each we can get this project made lickety split no problem but we need your help to share this so if you could go to rickleyjames.com or just go to youtube.com slash rickleyjames Uh, You can share that, watch the video. It's about a three-minute video about the project. I think you're going to really enjoy it. While you're there, you can listen to some of the demos uh, for the hymns we want to put on the project and uh, also just to let you know uh, if you want to go ahead and donate something that would be awesome uh, for the project you can go to gofundme.com slash hymns h-y-m-n-s that's gofundme.com slash hymns you can read all about the project and we aren't just asking for donations it's actually more of a pre-order for the album and you get lots of prizes everything from uh, a download of the the album when it comes out to um, hard copies of my book uh, to dvds uh concerts things like that that you can actually get for rewards for giving towards this project so we're not asking for something for nothing we actually want to give you something in return so gofundme.com slash hymns rickleyjames.com uh follow me on twitter at rickleyjames uh You guys can find all kinds of information out there, so I'm not going to talk any more about it. Commercial is over. I hope you'll support us on this project. We really need your help. Uh, We're going to get it made one way or the other with the grace of God and His help in this. But let me stop talking about that and go straight into our sermon. This is part two of my sermon, Where Are You? Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. Love you guys hi my name is rick my name is actually rick james and i know what you're expecting is you know that doesn't look like the guy that sang super freak back in the 80s um, <laughs> i'm actually not usually in this role i mean I'm, I'm speaking a lot more now because i wrote wrote a book recently and i actually am an ordained elder in the nazarene church but usually i'm doing the kind of stuff carlos is doing i'm a worship leader i'm a songwriter um, i've written several songs that have been published with lifeway worship Um, I do a lot of traveling, a lot of singing, and some speaking along the way, but it's kind of like a a different muscle. And so recently uh, I I became an author too. So what all this is trying to say is not really to build me up, it's just to tell you I'm not good enough at any one thing to just stick at it. So I have to try a lot of different things uh, when I do that. But I feel so blessed to be here with you guys this week. I mean, you see how inadequate I am. I can't even turn on a microphone correctly. Um, And and I'm supposed to be of that generation that understands this stuff, you know. Um, But I'm here to tell you some stories this week. And I'm here to talk to you about questions that God asks us. Because usually we have a lot of different questions that we want to ask God. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But I find it much more intriguing The questions that God has for us. There's a whole lot of questions that He asks in Scripture, and we're going to be looking at that some this week. I want to tell you a story about me, first of all, uh, that happened just a few weeks ago. I have been really working hard this summer to lose weight. So I've been dieting, I've been exercising, I've been running a whole bunch, and I've lost like 27 pounds this summer. So thank you. I look awesome. I know. I'm just kidding. No, I'm joking. Anyway. but it's been like one of those experiences. It's, you know, there's a lot of spiritual meaning I could get from all that. But really, it's just a lot of hard work. And I found myself on the treadmill one day. Now, the worst part of this story I'm going to share with you, I wish I could tell you that this happened to me while I was in full sprint, like running super hard on the treadmill, like I was going seven miles an hour or something. But I fell off the treadmill, okay? I wish I could tell you I was running when this happened, Okay. I had just finished running and I picked up my phone uh, off of the, the treadmill and I was taking a drink at the same time, had a drink in my left hand, I had the phone in my right and I dropped the phone and I was like, whoops! I stepped to the side, which a treadmill was going extremely slow by the way, this was not even a fast treadmill, I should have been able to do this, I stepped kinda to the side, I don't know why I didn't push the stop button, I still had the water in my hand. Like, oh, I can get that phone that just went down the treadmill and kept going. And somehow my foot got out from my AP. I hardly remember what happened, but I ended up on the floor, like, down on the floor. Water was all over three treadmills down that was in my hand, and the phone's laying on the floor. And, and some girl was coming, are you okay? You know, and I'm like, I don't know what happened exactly. But I fell, you know. I mean, I wish I was, like, running like a leopard, but I wasn't. I was just kind of, oh, you know, and... There's no reason for it. I'm a klutz, I guess. But I want to tell you about a different kind of fall, okay? Now that you have my fall in mind, you know my little embarrassing story. And it's a big fitness center, by the way. There's a lot of people that saw me, just so you know. We're going to look at another fall story tonight. And we're going to have uh, the scripture on the screen in a moment. But this comes out of Genesis. It's a story you're probably very familiar with, but maybe you haven't heard it quite this way before. You know, the book of Genesis... It's an interesting book. It starts out as poetry. It's beautiful poetry. And every ancient Sumerian culture, it seems like they all had this different sort of story of, about how creation worked, and sometimes it ended with worshipping the sun, and sometimes it ended with worshipping nature or worshipping something else. And the Hebrew story was so different because it ended with worshipping God. So in the story of Genesis We have God who comes to his earth, which, by the way, we believe God created the earth, but that's not really like the story of Genesis, because when he comes to the earth, it's already there. It says the earth is formless and void when God comes on the scene. So sometime earlier, God created it, but he comes to this earth in this moment, and it's just kind of lifeless. It's not working the way it's supposed to. It's formless, it's void, it's dark, it doesn't look right. And God comes and He starts speaking into this formless void and He starts giving function and He starts giving purpose and He starts bringing life forth out of this lifelessness that's on this hunk of whatever it is that's there that He created before in the atmosphere. And there's all these questions that come to my mind and as humans we have tons of questions and I want to ask questions and we get wrapped up in you know was it literal seven day creationism or you know things like that and, and we miss the point of this beautiful story we miss the point of this poem that was telling us about God telling us that nothing works right without God the earth itself does not work right without God breathing his ruach his breath into it and giving it life so we start asking questions as humans, like, you know, well, was it literal seven days? I, I don't really care, you know. I just know God did it, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And then we start, you know, asking questions that, that go beyond not just about the earth, but as humans, we are just loaded with questions. We start asking things like, uh, you know, what, what happens after we die? What happens when we go to heaven? Um, but again, I don't want to deal with those questions this week. I want to deal with questions God asks, because he asks some doozies to us. And the answers that he gives us so often are through questions. Jesus does that often. So let me ask you a few questions as we start to get you prepared for the God questions that are coming your way tonight. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I can't remember. I don't know. I'm asking you. Do you remember what you had for breakfast this morning? Let's start there. Do you remember what you had for breakfast yesterday? Do you remember what you had for breakfast last week at this time? Some of you do, because you have the exact same thing every day. Well, let me go a little deeper. Do you remember the first time you sinned? Do you remember the last time you sinned? Do you remember a sin that not only caused a rift between you and God, but it also caused a rift between you and someone else? Another human relationship. So then you're affected this way and you're affected that way and it's just sin that messed everything up. You can probably remember that. So I've told you about my fall tonight and now I'm going to tell you about a different fall and I'm going to let the Bible tell the story going to read from genesis chapter 2 and 3 and these teens are so wonderful they sat through almost me reading the entire two chapters this morning i promised i wasn't going to do that much again in a service but we needed it this morning but i'm going to read a a, a chunk of it tonight again i want you to hear this story tonight starting with verse 8 of genesis chapter 2 the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him him in the garden of Eden. And this is very important. He put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. To till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. See, God gives man the task of being creative also he's just kind of curious hey i wonder what adam's going to name him let's let's take a look and see what my kid's going to name this stuff what's my kid going to name his dog i'm ready to see you know named his dog dog you know different things like that so it's a beautiful part of the story god hands off some of his creation abilities to man so adam starts naming them all man gave names to the cattle to the birds of the air to every animal of the field But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. I hope that's not happening to you right now. Please stay awake this evening. Then he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. Or, whoa, man, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And this morning we talked about that was good naked. Okay, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But now, this is where the story gets interesting. This is where it turns from beautiful poetry into tragedy. Now the serpent, the Nachash, as it says in the Hebrew, uh, it, it's not, you know, I'll tell you more about it in a second. But this serpent, it's kind of this monster character in the story. It comes into the garden. It was more crafty or deceitful, really is what that word crafty means, than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say to you, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. By the way, he was with her. I told the teens that this morning. Okay, we often say Adam came in later. Nope, he was there the whole time. He was supposed to be doing his job of tilling and keeping, but he was there. She gave some fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Not good naked anymore. They were bad naked at this point. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? Which, by the way, is the question I want you to focus on tonight. Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, Who told you? You were naked. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The "The woman whom you gave uh, to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And we'll stop the reading there for tonight. You probably know the story pretty well. But first of all, I want you to notice the priestly language that's here in this passage of Scripture, okay? You may not understand this fully, but this is a a theory I, I highly subscribe to in this passage of Scripture. It's priestly language. It's Levitical language. The Israelites, because of God's revelation to them, they understood all creation to be this macro-temple. So if you think of the temple, the Garden of Eden, every temple, you know, it needs a sanctuary, and every sanctuary needs a high priest to minister in it, and every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and that sanctuary for this temple is none other than the Garden of Eden. So I want you to think about the Garden of Eden as the temple of the Lord. The Garden of Eden was not viewed simply as farmland, But I believe it was viewed as an archetypal sanctuary unto God. God's creation, his Eden, was his good temple, his place of worship. And he put man in it. And there was an entrance and an exit to the garden, which was on the east side of Eden. So if you compare that to tabernacles and the Jerusalem temple, they were entered from the east. It's the symbolism of coming into the east, of coming into Eden and exiting Eden from the temple. Cherubim were on top of the tabernacle whenever they built them. And they formed the throne of God in the inner sanctuary. And and in Genesis, God placed the cherubim with a a sword flaming and and turning people away to guard that place. So this brings us to Adam. And I told you this was important. His duty was to till and to keep the garden. That word till is the Hebrew word abad. Say that with me. Abad. Abad. And the other word is shamar to keep say that with me shamar shamar so to till abad and to keep shamar the garden these are probably better translated to serve and to guard these two hebrew words are used together elsewhere in hebrew scripture to describe the duty of guess who priests they were to serve and to guard in the temple They were to abod and to shamar. We see in Numbers 3, 7 through 8, and Numbers 8, 26, the Lord gives the Levite priest the authority to minister in the tabernacle, to abod, till, and to keep shamar. The exact same responsibilities of Adam in the garden. And what was the task given to Adam? It was to serve, to cultivate, to work, and to keep, to watch, and to preserve, and to guard, to abod. And to Shamar. Walter Brueggemann says that the challenge is for humans to live with God's other creatures. Some of them are dangerous, but all of them are to be ruled over and cared for by man. The destiny of the human is to do three things. To live in God's world. To live with God's other creatures. And to live on God's terms. So in chapter 3, when the serpent enters the garden, we start to get an idea of the kind of thing Adam was supposed to be guarding against. That was part of his task and his responsibility. Adam is called to be about the work of guarding the garden, to offer up the sacrifice, which is what priests did. And if necessary, to offer up the sacrifice of himself to defend it if need be. For the priest's primary duty is sacrifice. Now remember, at this point in the story, the man and the woman are pretty much equal. She's different, but she's not lesser. She isn't named Eve yet. He just said, oh, your woman. Called her female. And in fact, at this point in the scripture, they're just called the man, the woman, all throughout. There's no Eve yet. Hasn't been given that name yet. That's important. Their duties were to till and to keep the garden, to abad and to shamar. To serve and to guard. And they were naked and unashamed because this place was safe. Just like babies are naked and innocent and unashamed, there's no reason. There's nothing dirty about it. It's not scandalous. It's not evil. It's just the way we were created to be. Well, they allowed this crafty servant, serpent, however, to come in to the garden. Which, by the way, side note, it's not Satan. It's just a serpent, okay? It's, it never says Satan in the passage. We call them that, and that's fine if you want to, but it's this word, nachash. Elsewhere, it's translated a sea serpent or a dragon. So I like to think about the story like this. There's this dragon that came in, all right? Because it's the same word. They use it elsewhere. They use it in Job in different places. It's just, we usually think about this serpent. I have snakes in my garden. That's no big deal. But I love the story of a dragon coming in, you know, kind of the tiny garden. And we see this creature that Adam was supposed to be. You know what? This thing's here causing trouble, I'm kicking this thing out. But it's interesting to me that this creature, which man was made to rule over, begins to rule over man, causing doubts about God, causing doubts about His promise. And the Bible said that God made trees that were pleasant to the sight and trees that were good for food, and the serpent starts to convince mankind to use God's creation wrongly. Eat this fruit, even though it wasn't designed for food. You see, sin is simply a good thing used in the wrong way. It would be a sin to, to use that guitar or any of these guitars like a shovel. To me especially, I'm a guitarist, so if you start using a guitar like a shovel, taking it out to the ground, that's just a sin to me, you know, don't do that. It's the wrong way to use it. It would be a sin to use a cake as a doorstop. You're supposed to eat a cake, right? You're not supposed to use it to keep the door propped open. That's a sin, right? It would be a sin to turn a car into a giant pot for plants. Wait, I'm in West Virginia. I think I saw a few of those out in the yard. But this tree was meant for beauty. It was not meant to be consumed. One thing that is so wrong about what Adam and Eve did, you might be thinking, well, oh, they just ate the fruit. But they couldn't just let a beautiful tree be a beautiful tree. They had to be utilitarian and use it for something that would get them something. They had to get something more out of it. It wasn't enough to just let it be lovely because it says God made trees to be beautiful to the eye, too. You know, Bill Cosby once said, Bill Cosby is one of my heroes. I love Bill Cosby. He said, women don't want to hear what you think They want to hear what they think in a deeper voice. (laughs) I think about this passage and I think Adam and Eve didn't really want to hear what God thought. They wanted to hear what they thought coming from another voice. And aren't we just like that sometimes? I mean, we're often not so interested in what God thinks. We want to hear what we think and we want God to say it. Maybe God didn't mean this. God, I know you told me not to do that, but I want it, and I I think this is your will. And it helped that somebody else was prodding him on. Adam should have done his duty. Adam should have tilled and kept the garden. He should have kept to serve and protect. He should have pushed this serpent out, but he didn't. And can't we all relate? I know I can relate. Haven't we all learned secrets we wish we hadn't known? Once we learned it, uh, it was too much knowledge. Can't we relate to the pain and guilt that our sin has caused us? Can't we relate to using good things in the wrong way? Sex, food, drink, even animals possessions, even religion can be used in the wrong way. Some say God was cruel to put this forbidden tree in the garden which wasn't to be eaten from. But you know what? God said it's okay for some things to just be pretty. I didn't make that for food. I made it for you to enjoy, to look at. We don't have to use everything in the way that we use stuff up. That's why art can be just beautiful you know art you usually can't use it you know you don't hang a picture on the wall because you can do something with it other than look at it it's there to be beautiful it's there to be looked at it's there to actually make you better as you ponder upon it and think about it and enjoy the beauty and allow it to change you it actually gets to use you that's what art is that's why God gave us Sabbath, to teach us that we don't always have to be doing something. That we can allow God to reign and not be having to use everything. That we can actually just let the world go by for a while and rest in the beauty of His Sabbath and worship and in His Word. And that's why He gave us those things. And there are trees that beside that, if you eat them, they'll kill you, right? <laughs> that's a pretty good example. They didn't die right away, but they died eventually. When we start ignoring the beauty of something that is created just to use it for our own selfish purposes we are on the path to a fall. We can use people wrongly. We can use plants wrongly. I mean, you know, pot. Think about that. We can use animals wrongly. We can take these good things God gave us and use it so wrongly and miss the beauty He designed for it. They should have thrown the serpent out for calling God a liar. But instead, let's give it a try. He might be onto something there. And when they did what they knew to be wrong, their eyes were opened and guilt and shame came over them. So they hid. I can relate. And here comes the Lord walking in the cool of the day, it says in Scripture. This is where the English doesn't quite capture it. It's not just that the Lord is walking through in the cool of the day. Remember before when I talked about the breath of God, the Ruach, and the breath that God breathed into mankind? Well, there's this story here of God coming into the garden. And here's the scene it's setting up. It's getting to be night. The shadows are starting to fall. It's the cool of the day. And when it talks about that cool of the day and the breeze blowing, it's actually that word ruach. And if you read closely in the Hebrew, it's actually not God just kind of strolling through the garden. God is coming in. Things are shaking. The wind is blowing. It's like Pentecost coming in there. God is coming in to His place to fellowship with mankind. But they're hiding from it. They're terrified, because he's so big and this wind. It's, it's scary, God, you're frightening me now, all of a sudden for the first time. Why? Because only the guilty fear justice. Before that, he was the same God. He was just as big and booming, and things crackled when he came in, just like it says in the Hebrew. But they weren't guilty. They hadn't done wrong. They weren't scared of him. All of a sudden, this God who was the same, this loving God who was big and came upon the scene, all of a sudden was terrifying to them because they were guilty. And God asked this question that I'm asking all of us tonight, including myself Where are you? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? That wasn't supposed to be for food. That was supposed to be for beauty. And I don't believe God was asking because He didn't know. I have a son. He's 18 months old. If I wonder where the cookies went, I know where they went, you know? I didn't have to see it happen. If it's just me and him at home, I can go, hey, Alex. That's my son. Where's the cookie? Oh. Alex might hide from me. He wasn't supposed to eat the cookie. Well, God's coming in and He's asking, Where are you? And then the blame shifting begins. Uh, well, this woman that you gave me, uh, she gave me the fruit and I ate of it. And then the woman, well, it was this serpent that came in. And then the serpent, as they say, had no leg to stand on, you know, as, as it were. It's not my joke. I'm just repeating it, okay? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The blame shifting starts. The excuses. I did sin, but I had an excellent reason for it. Uh, so then comes correction. The man and woman are told that life is going to be much harder for them now. Because now they know something they didn't need to know. Now they've done it. The thing God was trying to protect them from. Now they know guilt. Now they know pain. It's going to hurt. You know, sin is the punishment for sin. It really is. Sin hurts. Sin hurts us. Sin hurts others. Sin hurts our relationship with God. How many of us, all of us can relate to that moment? I, I, I was listening to somebody speak the other day, and they were so deep in pornography, and at one point in their life, and they said, You know, I tried and I tried to stay away, and then there would be that moment and I would give in, and then for the next three or four days, it just seemed like I just couldn't get it right with God because everything was thrown off. It's the same God, but we're messed up. It's a sad, tragic story of us. And so, God disciplines like a good parent and not like a cruel tyrant. About a little under two weeks ago, I guess, I went in the hospital. I had some intestinal problems, and I won't go into all that, but while I was in the hospital, I was in like terrible pain, some of the worst pain I ever had. One thing they said I needed was potassium. Anybody ever had potassium like injected through an IV before? Show of hands, a couple people. Burns like crazy, doesn't it? Like the dickens. Oh, it hurts. And It took like eight hours. They had to keep putting another one in. When they finished the first potassium, I thought, like, you're done now, right? And, nope, we got eight more of these bags. Oh, come on. And it burnt and it hurt. But in order to regain health again, I needed it. I had to have it. And so God comes in and he has to do the unenviable task of restoring to health. And it's a painful process. It hurts sometimes. And then this, this is not explicit in the text, but it's something that stood out to me hugely when I read this. Because remember before I told you up to this point, it was just the man and the woman. And Adam said, I'm going to call her woman, but the text reads differently. Remember before that God gave the task to man to name the animals, and he said he was looking forward to seeing what man was going to name them. And it said, Adam named all the animals because they were lesser. He was supposed to care for them and rule over them. And I find it very interesting that right after this fall happens, the man named his wife. And it uses the exact same language as when he was naming the animals. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to call you this. It was this looking at you as lesser now. Sin causes us to look at other people as lesser you realize that? And I don't know if it's explicit in the text, but to me it stood out, and I went, oh, no. When I start thinking other people aren't as good as me, I start naming them as lesser. That's what man did to the animals, not people. Immediately there was a rift between God, and there was a rift between man and man. Kierkegaard said, once you label me, you negate me, and I agree with him. I believe what Adam was doing was starting the process that we all do. We label. God let man name the animals who were to submit to Adam. But with other people? What man must not start doing, though, is naming God. Man made gods are idols, given names by men, but God has his own name. And you will not label Him incorrectly. That's what the other nations do. You are not to label God. God names Himself. He says, I am. And we know the I am as Jesus. Savior, Yeshua, as it says in the Old Testament. We know Him as Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. We know them as the three in one. We know this God. And He is the God that names us. And He is the God that gives us a new name. And when He names us, it's not to make us lesser. It's to remind us that we are created in His image. That we are created beautiful. So where are you? Where are you tonight? How are your relationships with others? Because... Sin is using good things in the wrong way. How have you been using others? How have you been using plants, animals, food? You can have wrong relationships with all those things. How's your relationship with God? Psalm 8 says about man, you have crowned him with glory. I know another word for glory is beauty. One of my friends, Brian Zahn, he's a great author, and awesome pastor. He wrote a book called Beauty Will Save the World. You should all pick it up and read. It's a beautiful book. And he reminds us that word glory is synonymous with beauty. That God has created us with beauty. And every one of us still possess that beauty, that glory. But maybe it's become a bit distorted. And God wants to renew that image of glory, that image of beauty inside of you, God doesn't leave Adam and Eve. This is a very significant part of the story. While He makes them leave, God doesn't leave them. He goes with them. And He tasks them with a new task. He makes something new and beautiful out of a bad situation. He tasks them to bring Eden to the world. To go out and cultivate out there. Start making that place out there like it was in here. It's going to be harder. It's not prepared for you as it was in here. You're going to have to work harder at it, but I want you to go out in the world and I want you to take Eden out there. That's your new job. And it's going to be hard, but I want you to do it. It's like when Jesus is tasking His disciples with the Great Commission to spread the kingdom into all of the earth, to tell everyone of the good news. So I want to ask you tonight, where are you? Are you a part of that process or are you hiding from God? You can hide from God right in camp meeting. You can hide from God right in your church. But Jesus, God's second Adam, wants you to be renewed. Jesus is the high priest who made a sacrifice, but He sacrificed Himself. No man took His life from Him. He laid down His life. He did what it took to get the serpent out of the garden. Through Him, all come into righteousness. The new garden, the new creation... New water, new light, new wine, new bread. Our challenge is to live in God's creation under God's terms, under God's rule. To sum up, Genesis 3 is not really a story about the fall of man. The narrative in Genesis is actually the summons of God calling his human creations to live in his world with his other creations on his terms. And it's the story of his human creations messing those terms up. And then God setting those terms right again. So where are you? Are you living in God's creation on his terms? Or are you living in God's creation on your own terms? Can you accept his invitation to live on his terms? To let him be Savior and Lord of your life. To allow his grace to correct you on your path to renew you. The kingdom of God is the new Eden and the table is spread. You know, the way Jesus kind of gave altar calls was, come eat with me. Come on, let's sit down and have fellowship. And he caused quite a scandal because all these sinful people he kept going to the table with and eating with them. And you don't eat with those sinful people. Jesus, everybody knows that. Only the righteous come to the table. And Jesus says, oh no, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for them because they need to be with the righteous people. And if you look at yourself, you're probably not as righteous as you think you are. And I came to eat with you too. So tonight and every night this week, we're going to come to the table together. These altars are going to be open and this invitation is for everyone tonight. Carlos is going to come and sing a song this evening. I wrote this song with a friend of mine named Andrew Greer. And we were trying to find a way to say, this is the invitation. This is the call. This is the heart of love. This is the heart of what God wants us to be. And so these altars are open tonight. But the reason we are receiving communion every evening in these services is because we are taking as a symbol the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. We are taking him into ourselves and we are saying, Jesus, come into me. Come be my Lord. Come be my everything. I want to have fellowship with you. And if you want to know God more, you can come to this table. If you've never made that decision before in your life and you want it to be that statement tonight, you can come down here, you can receive Jesus this evening. That's what we do when we receive communion. Some people say we take it too much. I say we don't take it enough. We need to receive Jesus as much as we can. It's the symbol of what we are doing as we come together tonight. And these altars are open. Maybe it makes it a little easier for you if you want to come pray. If you want to pray about where you are. God is asking, where are you tonight? He's not asking because He doesn't know. He's asking because maybe you don't. Where are you? Are you hiding this evening? The elements are just going to be laying here. We're going to have a communion prayer together. Communion liturgy quickly. I'm going to read. And then these altars are open. Will you stand with me tonight? If you would like to accept this invitation, there are people here that will pray with you as you receive this evening. We're going to ask you to come forward. If you say, I want to follow Jesus. If this is your first time tonight, that's okay. You take the bread, which is His body. You dip it in the cup, which is His blood. And you receive it saying, I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my life. I want you to be everything to me. I repent of my sins. And then you can kneel at this altar and we can pray with you tonight. And we can take time together to receive and fellowship at this table that God is calling us to. Our liturgy, I think it's going to be up on our screen tonight. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love Him and who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little faith. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a very long time, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. Won't you come tonight? Carlos, sing the invitation for us this evening. If you'd like to come, Here's the bread, here's the cup at these alders. Come, receive. Come join the feast. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Voices in My Head. Hope you enjoyed that sermon as much as I enjoyed preaching it preparing it. God bless you guys. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with part three of 10 of this sermon series. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Uh, Go to rickleyjames.com. Find out more about me and the Hymns Project I have going on right now. Uh, More than anything, I hope that you will grow in your relationship with God, and hopefully this podcast is a part of that process. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. God bless.